Living Local, telling the stories that connect us. A United Way of Greater Milwaukee and Waukesha County podcast. I'm Katie Kuhn, and this is Living Local. I'll be honest, today's story was a hard one to hear and an even harder one to edit. Listening to survivors talk about their experiences with sexual assault is never easy, and it's particularly hard when the person telling you their story is a friend. Rebecca Shimke was employed here at United Way when she first shared her experience with sexual assault as a child on our Speak United blog. During her time here, Rebecca was a champion for Sexual Assault Awareness Month and co-produced the Living Local podcast, including powerful interviews like the one we did with Denim Day Milwaukee founder, Don Helmrich. Though she has moved on to a new job, I am happy to share this interview and allow Rebecca's story to continue to inspire survivors and influence advocates around the issue of sexual assault. You shared a story about your childhood on our United Way blog in observance of Sexual Assault Awareness Month and Denim Day. And this was a story about your having been sexually abused as a child and how it affected your life up until this point. You talked in the blog about how this was the first time you had shared your story publicly. Why did you choose to share it when you did and through the channel that you did? The funny thing is, is that my friends knew about it. I told people randomly through college. I don't think I really talked about it in high school, but it kind of got to a point. um, We have another employee here who is a survivor as well. And I felt that she often became like our token survivor. And that was a little unfair for her. So I think part of me did it so she didn't have to stand alone. And part of me realized that if I ever was going to share it and make a difference, this was the perfect opportunity to do so. Um, In the blog I wrote, I work at United Way and I work in communications. And what better platform am I ever going to get to share something as personal and um, kind of deep as this? Without going into it too much, if anyone's interested who's listening in Becca's story, the blog that she wrote will link to it in the comments on this on this post um, so you can read the full story but do you want to just give kind of a, a brief overview of the situation absolutely I and it's weird to say it out loud still some you know 25 30 years later but I was sexually abused as a child and it was a family friend which is all too common it's either usually for people a family member a family friend someone they know Um, A lot of these things don't happen from strangers. So this particular person was a family friend who so very loosely connected to me, but would have been my step family. And this person was a family friend who would come and stay at this farmhouse, so my step-grandparents' house, and um, sexually abused a number of children. Abusers are really good at manipulating and like I don't know the right words I guess grooming would be the right words grooming their victims into telling them that they have a secret and that they're special and every single child that he abused heard that story this was a secret adults won't believe you if you tell them so if you tell you'll get in trouble and as a kid you believe it because your parents teach you to trust adults 
And that's what we were doing. We were trusting an adult. And when this abuse happened, other people were around. They were on the next, you know, this happened in the basement of a farmhouse. There were people upstairs. So it's easy, it happens easily. Like these predators, um, abusers don't have to try very hard if they want to do something. And by that time, had your parents talked to you about sex or your body or relationships? No, I don't remember ever having a conversation with my parents about my body. And we also didn't talk about it ever again, even after uh, the abuse was brought to light and adults knew, I don't recall ever having conversations about it after that either. And you didn't go to therapy right away? No, and um, I know a lot of people will listen and shame my parents, and I don't blame them and no one else should either. I did as an adult after I sought therapy, which I did have a conversation with my mom because I admitted to her and that was another big step. Like, I'm going to therapy, Mom, and it's for the sexual abuse that I um, went through as a child. And we had a conversation, and I asked, I'm like, why didn't we go to therapy? Why wasn't anything done? And so for her, I think she dealt with, how could this happen to my children? How could this happen to my family? How did I not know this? So for her, there was a little bit of falling into a depression. How could I let this happen to my daughter? And she didn't get help either. So it's not like my mom went to a therapist and dealt with her feelings. She had she worked through them on her own and then from that point on kept her children safe. Before therapy, I blamed my mom. But after and learning the coping mechanisms that I use to get through life and to deal with things, I realized that the only person to blame is the abuser in this situation. So you're a mom to an almost one-year-old boy. He's turning one at the end of this month as we record this. How has your experience as a survivor of childhood sexual abuse affected your parenting? It already has in so many ways. I share articles and resources and um, talk incessantly about child safety with my friends and my husband, probably to their annoyance. And Personally, with my son, he's going to be a year old. We already have conversations. I already talk to him about things. Not so much, I can't tell him yet, like, good touch, bad touch, don't let strangers touch you, that type of thing. But I do have conversations. Like any small child, he's exploring his body. And um, during diaper change times, like any baby does, he touches his genitals, and I tell him, that's your penis, that's your scrotum, these are things that you have, you know, and it might be weird to people who hear us, but but I figure the more I do it, and if I do it forever, that's not going to be weird to him, and then if, when he's a little older, we can have those conversations of who gets to have access to your body, who you need to tell mom and dad if anyone does. And then we can have that discussion of, was it just a diaper change at daycare? Was it someone touching you inappropriately? I also have a philosophy that he will know for his entire life, and I will do this with so much passion, <laughs> that he will never be forced to hug someone. He'll never be forced to give someone a kiss goodbye. It's going to be his decision. And I make, I make that clear now, even though he doesn't 
fully comprehend it. I make sure that the adults we interact with comprehend that. So he, when we're leaving somewhere, if he doesn't want to have someone else hold him, they don't. Uh, he already makes that choice and um, he'll make those choices forever. Were you afraid to become a parent? Did you always think you would have kids? I was absolutely terrified. Um, I never thought I would do it. I went through most of my life thinking I would never marry someone uh, because I didn't want to be in a relationship and I didn't want to feel vulnerable. If I kept people away, then I was in control. So I think um, for parenting, one of the hardest things is that lack of control. You have this other person that you're ultimately responsible for and a lot of it is so out of your control and that's scary. Will you tell your son about what happened to you? I absolutely think I will, and I think it's going to be in those moments where I'm teaching him things, where we have those discussions of appropriate touch and inappropriate touch, and if it's okay for people to touch you, and um, in that conversation of we don't have secrets. So I'm guessing he'll probably, he'll be young, you know, be, especially because the abuse happened to me when I was so young, I want there to be that dialogue and I want him to trust me and I also want him to know why is mommy so crazy about that. What were some of the coping mechanisms you learned when you went through therapy that were really helpful and that maybe you still rely on to this day? So I'm kind of going to answer that question it'll be a little weird. So coping mechanisms are usually what a survivor uses to get through their day before they've worked through their feelings. So when I when I talk about my coping mechanisms, it was what I used to survive every single day and before therapy. Before therapy. Okay. I was fortunate in the way that my coping mechanisms weren't really negative. So people would be like, "Oh, poor you." When I tell you what they are, but um they, they went to extremes. So I always, um, anyone who knows me knows I'm hyper-organized. I'm incredibly type A. Those are my coping mechanisms. I had to get control over whatever part of my life that I could get control of. So that was, you know, when I was a little kid, I would do my homework and then I would redo it so the paper looked perfect. What, what do you think that was responding to? It was control. The abuse, it takes away control. It takes away, um, it takes away everything, really. It took away innocence. You know about things you shouldn't know about far before your body is ready to know about them. You know, um, and then you question your worth. Um, and you can't wrap your head around that as a little kid. I didn't realize that until I was much older, you know, and then... When I got a little bit older, I did, I distanced myself from my family and friends. I never had, I don't have childhood friends. I don't keep in contact with anyone I knew from when I was younger. And the same rings true for high school friends. I don't have any from high school. The only friends, long-term friends I have now are friends that I met in college. So that was something that I've done as a way to protect myself. And I've let go a lot. But I also still do things, and um, I always joke that in my house everything has a place, and you'll never have to look for anything, and that's part of it, as I have to control the things that still can be controlled. And I realize that there are so many things that I can't, but I still hold on to the things I can. Did therapy help you with that? It did. I'm way better than I used to be. <laughs> and my husband can attest. Um, 
things have gotten better. And a lot of times, like, if something isn't put back where I think it should be, I realize that's only where I think it should be. And it might not be the most logical place. Um, and my husband knows. We joke about that because I will organize things. And he's like, but that logically doesn't make any sense. I'm like, yes, but I know where it is. So we poke at each other with that. And I know that that's why I do it. I also... Um, you know, relationships were hard for me for a very long time. And that was another part of coping is I did what I wanted to do and didn't really account um, for other people's feelings in relationships. So I had, you know, a, a string of boyfriends who I could dismiss when I was ready and breakups weren't hard for me because they didn't matter. And that's not fair to the other person, but it's a coping mechanism. And luckily that all happened when I was very young. You've been with your husband for a long time, since college. Yes. And so what was different about that relationship, and when did you tell him what had happened to you? He, you know, I think, like, there's always that thing that people say, like, when you're with the right person, you just know. And I think it's part of that. And he's a person who can challenge me and kind of see through what I'm doing, and he'll call me on it, which I totally appreciate. Not not always, but I do. Um and he had the capacity to see through things with me. So we did start dating when I was in college. We did some long distance while he was finishing up undergrad and I started grad school. So we kind of went through a lot of ups and downs together anyway. And um, after he had finished undergrad and I was still in graduate school, I kind of got to this point in life where I was just not content and it was becoming apparent in, like like my blog says, every part of my life, I just, things weren't working. And we were in a relationship. So that it came out and f for whatever the timing was right that I told him and we talked about it at length and we kind of got to the, you know, that's the root cause of the issues I'm having. And that perfectionism was really harming my life at that point. One night, we were probably arguing about something, and um, it came out, and he's like, you just need to go and talk to someone about this because, you know, that's something huge, and he can't help with that. He doesn't know what to do. He's not a therapist. So, um, but he's there for me, and he supported me through it, and I went to a lot of therapy, and I'd come home some days and want to tell him all about it, and then there were other days I'd come home and not talk to him for two days, and he was okay with that. My therapist suggested books which were great, and books for me and books for my husband. And I think that was helpful because um, when he read them, it, you know, it showed me you know, we're in this together and that he's willing to support me and learn about it too. Do you have any message that you want to share with maybe a survivor who may be listening who hasn't shared their story? I think it's just important to know that you're not alone. Like when I started to tell people, it would be random and you just get a feeling like when you're in a safe place to be able to tell someone, a friend, um, a coworker, whoever. And when I started to share, it was amazing the amount of people who shared their story right back. A lot of people I know went through something very similar to what I went through. So I think just knowing that you're not alone. No one's story is going to be exactly the same as yours, but it happens to, to shockingly similar degrees. So I think that's my message is you're not alone. 
and it's okay to talk about it and it's okay not to talk about it. I was very selective in who I told, um, but never regretted telling anyone. That was Rebecca Shimke, a survivor and sexual assault awareness advocate. Living Local is produced by myself, Katie Kuhn, Melissa Hannon, John Waldbauer, and Brian McCaig. A special thank you to Ethan and Maeve McCaig for providing the music and voice talent for our introduction.